In Hebrews, the 13th chapter, we find the Apostle Paul writes and says, We have an altar, verse 10, whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. This is a very interesting portion of the book of Hebrews. The reason for the title of the book should be apparent. It's written to Jewish Christians, Christians who are flirting with the idea or maybe already have started going back under Judaism. I believe Paul is the author of this book, Divine Inspired, and some say, well, why didn't he put his name to it? Well, if you know, Paul was viewed as a traitor among the Jewish people, and I think Paul wrote this anonymously so that he would not get in the way of what needed to be communicated to these individuals who needed to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is better in every way to anything they had during the days of Moses and all the Old Testament period. So here in Hebrews 13, the very last chapter, Paul says we, speaking of New Testament Christians, we have an altar Say, so there's an altar in the New Testament church? There certainly is. It says, we have an altar whereof they, those who want to serve Judaism, he said, whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Paul has just declared, if you want to serve the law, if you want to serve a system or doctrine of works, then you have absolutely no right to eat of the altar, the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to choose one or the other. There's no middle ground, and that's what the apostle is establishing throughout the entire book of Hebrews. You cannot serve both. And there were some among Judaism, among Christianity that were trying to do that. Some were, remember last night we looked at John 9 very briefly about the young man that was born blind. If you'll recall, his parents were called into question regarding their son, and they were not willing to stand up in defense of him for this reason. They feared being cast out of the synagogue. Being cast out of the synagogue was different than church discipline of our day. Church discipline of our day obviously removes an individual from the fellowship of the church in a sense. But in that way, in that day, if you were removed from the synagogue, you were cut off from your natural family. You were cut off from commerce. If you owned a business, people would not do business with you anymore. Uh, talk about uh, boycotting a business that we see so much today. That happened uh, very severely. So to be cut off from the synagogue was a very dire uh, response to an action of a person in Israel. But here Paul says, if you want to serve the tabernacle, you are cut off from this altar that you and I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Then he says this in verse 8, he said, for the bodies of those beasts, talking about those Old Testament sacrifices, 
whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, they're burned without the camp. And he's just describing for us here that the bodies of the animals were not brought in themselves. They were disposed of uh, outside of the tabernacle of God, outside the camp. They were taken care of away from where the service of God uh, took place. The blood was brought in. That was the important aspect of that animal that was brought as a sacrifice before God. So he says here, he said, those animals, the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest, they're burned without the camp. That's done away from the people of God. He says, wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people. That means that he might cleanse you and me. He, uh, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. And this is just pointing to Calvary. The Lord Jesus Christ did not suffer within the walls of the city of Jerusalem. As you read the gospel accounts, now he uh, certainly was judged within the walls of the city. Uh, he was mistreated within the walls of the city, betrayed within the walls of the city. But when it was time to put him to death, they would not sully the city of Jerusalem, the city that they still viewed as the city of God, uh, with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And obviously on their part, it wasn't because they respected God, but obviously uh, by divine providence, it was done so to fulfill uh, the type that was set forth in the law of God in the Old Testament day. So the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be carried outside. The, he suffers outside the city. Calvary, of course, is a hill on the outside of Jerusalem. So he says, Jesus also, just like those uh, bodies of those animals that were taken and burned outside the camp of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ, likewise, he did his suffering outside the gate of the city. He was removed uh, from where the temple of God was. But then notice what Paul says, let us. This is something we can do, and I would say for our spiritual welfare, we must do. Brother David has described to us the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gen uh, excuse me, Isaiah 49 verse 15 is one of my very favorite verses in all the Bible. Um, there's a song with the title, the tune name is Africa, one of my very favorite hymns in all the world that describes the love of God and actually uses the language of Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should ha uh, not have compassion on the son of a woman? Yea, they may forget. That, we see it as was preached just a few moments ago. So you and I, we need the view of Calvary. We need from time to time, on a regular basis, to do what Paul here says, let us do. So again, the picture is clear. Jesus is outside the city, hanging on the cross of Calvary, and you and I are supposed to go there and witness that event. You say, well, wait a minute, last night you preached that our high priest has passed into the heavens. He has. But there's moments in our experience that we do need to look back to Calvary that we need to see what transpired there. That the nails that pierced his hands and feet, as Brother David said, marked him forever, showing his commitment and love for us. That in his body, even presently, as we just heard, uh, he bears in his bodies the marks, as Paul would say, I bear in my bodies the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, when you and I were baptized, we bore in our body the mark that we are a follower, a disciple, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sadly, sometimes we fall short of living up to the commitment we made when in a form, when we were baptized, we stood against the post at the gate of the city and allowed our ear uh, to be pierced to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus never will forsake us. We may forsake him, but he'll never forsake you or me. So he says, let us go forth, therefore, unto him. There's a sense in which Jesus is still at Calvary. Only in this sense, so that in our mind we can go there and we can see the Lord Jesus Christ suspended, as he would say, between heaven and earth. There was a span of time for six hours when the Lord Jesus Christ was lifted up. He was saying, if I be lifted up from the earth, he said, I will draw all men unto me. When the Lord Jesus Christ was lifted on Calvary's hill, you and I were drawn in him. Uh, when he was judged for our sins, it was though we were there with him and in him. And so when he paid the sin debt and God was satisfied with the Lord Jesus Christ and the offering that he made, he was likewise satisfied with you and I. But here is something even better about that, what the, the Lord said there in John 12. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw under." He certainly was lifted at Calvary. But three days and three nights later, he would come forth from the grave. He was lifted from the grave in death. And then after about 40 days, the disciples in Acts chapter 1, they stood around and they watched as Jesus literally was lifted up out of their sight and carried into heaven. And you know, one day, because he's lifted up, you and I will be drawn to him in glory. There's moments that I forget that my old sins were purged. There's moments, as Brother David in his closing mentioned, that Satan will lie to us and try to convince us that we're no good sinners. And you know, when he comes and tells you that, you know what you ought to just say? <laughs> You're exactly right. But you know what? The Bible tells me that's exactly who Jesus came for, was sinners who had absolutely no word, nothing they could give to him. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 5 very clearly that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, the grace of God is this, that while we were without strength, while we were enemies, and while we were sinners, Christ died. He didn't uh, save the lovable. Uh, he didn't save those of us who could uh, uh, merit his esteem or give the creator delight, but he made us lovable. Uh, we find the Bible tells us that God made us accepted in the beloved. The beloved is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only reason uh, that you will be in glory is because God made you acceptable. It's not because you accepted him. And I realize there are many in this world today, just accept the Lord Jesus Christ. No, you need God to accept you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, many preachers in this world sadly have it backwards. Thank God he's made us accepted in the beloved. So there's moments that I am accused by Satan. You know, Romans 12 says he's the accuser of our brethren. And he accuses us day and night. You know, he never stops. He knows he's done for. He knows he's done in, but he still doesn't give up. And there's, he, he knows he cannot successfully accuse you before God. Romans the 8th chapter, if God be for us, who can be against us? That doesn't mean there's no one against us. It just means nobody will prevail against us. But Satan will come and he will try to convince you. He can't convince God. It's God that 
justify, that's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen, and is seated at the right hand. He can't convince God that you're a worthless sinner. Why? Because God has already said, my son, whom I love above all things, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased, came into the world and gave his life a ransom for many. And so to God, you're extremely valuable because God gave his son uh, for you so that you would be with God at the last day. And so he can't convince God uh, that you're a sinner, but he can convince you. And he can convince me to the point that I simply give up in my service to God. And so how do we uh, battle that? We do what Paul here describes in Hebrews 13. We uh, do what he says. He says, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp. So here is Jesus outside the gate. So here Paul says, there are moments in our experience that we need to get alone. Uh, We need to get by ourselves and go to where Jesus is outside the camp of the people. There are, you know, there's certainly public worship that we ought to gather together on a weekly basis and uh, gather with the Lord's saint and honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's also private worship that we must do even when we're together publicly. It's not just so that we can be together. There's more than that. Obviously being together encourages us. It lifts us up, but yet it still ought to be, there ought to be some oneness between us and the Lord at the same time. And then as, of course, Satan comes and attacks you, whether it's on Sunday morning in the pew or Wednesday during your work day, there's a place you can go called Calvary. You can go without the camp. You can leave everybody behind, including and especially Satan. And you can go, and notice what he says. You go there without anyone else, and you bear his reproach. Romans 15, the Apostle Paul writes as though he's the voice of Jesus. He says, the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. So what Paul is here saying is, when Satan is attacking you, and you're beginning to forget that you've been delivered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to go without the camp and visit Calvary. And you need to bear his reproach because really all you're doing is in some very small measure, you're bearing your own reproach. Uh, Because really the reproaches of him that reproached uh, uh, God fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were not his own. He willingly took them on himself. And so when I go to him without the camp bearing his reproach, I'm just taking a little bit of what I laid upon him, and I'm putting it on my shoulders for just a few moments so that I can be relieved of this great burden of Satan coming and accusing me and telling me that I'm worthless in the sight of God. So again, he says, let us. This means it's not always gonna happen. There's gonna be moments that I do not comply with this commandment. So he says, let us go forth, therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach, for here have we no continuing city. That means that the joy that we feel in the moment of worship, when everything seems to be going right, that's not always going to be our situation. There's going to be moments that it doesn't continue, but we seek one to come. There's a day coming when the joy we feel in the house of God, we're going to feel a joy that surpasses that, and it will never come to an end. But so from time to time, while we're in this world and we have no continuing city, but we seek this one to come, you and I need to go to Calvary. And we need to witness firsthand, by faith, obviously, in our mind's eye, 
the suffering Savior, the Son of God, hanging upon Calvary, showing us, not telling us, but showing us that He loves us. And be reminded of the great love, the powerful love, the enduring love, and the everlasting love of God. As John would say in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He says, and by him, by Jesus, then, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And then he says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. It's our responsibility and our privilege to offer the sacrifice of praise you know, God has not called us to do anything that is too difficult. The Bible says our service to God is a reasonable service. The commandments of God are not grievous. He's not asked us to do anything that we're unable to comply with. Not the first thing. You say, well, it's difficult. Yes, at times it is. That's what sacrifice means. It means giving up one thing in honor of something or someone else. And here you and I are to go to Jesus at Calvary to be reminded of the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and God his Father and to see that that love that extended all the way back before the world began was executed by the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us, rose again the third day, and now is seated at the right hand of God daily or ever living to make intercession for us. We need to be reminded of that. Why? So that you and I then can then offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That's our responsibility. That is also our delight, I trust, to come before God and to be reminded of his great love. And then what does that do? It makes our hearts swell in thanksgiving. And then we sing the song of praise. We give him the fruit of our lips. It's a sacrifice, no doubt, to do so, but it's a sacrifice with which God is well pleased. And the fact that Paul says we're to, you know, let us go to the, to the cross, let us offer, that doesn't mean we're going to do it. There's going to be moments we fail to do so, and when we do, we bear the consequences. But when we comply, you know, the, the journey to the cross is so uplifting. It breaks the heart, but then you know what it does immediately after it breaks the heart? It turns right around and it heals the heart. It breaks my heart to know that Jesus went to Calvary because I know why he went. I know because I failed to live up to the commandments and the law of God, Jesus was required to go there. It's my fault that Jesus suffered at Calvary. And so in that respect, it breaks my heart in my mind to go to Calvary. But then I turn right around and realize, but the only way for me to be recovered from the fact that I fell short of what God required of me was for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ to, to go to Calvary and suffer there for me. And in that same experience where my heart is broken, my heart is then healed, and then my love for him swells, and I can't help but just simply give the sacrifice of praise to his name. And so it's a journey that we need to take often. Every time Satan accuses you before God day and night, what you need to do is simply go to Calvary without the camp and bear his reproach. And when you go there and you see the suffering Savior and know that it was for your sins that he suffered, then you can turn right around and say, yes, it is, that, that is true. 
But because it's true, this individual that's broken and undone, incomplete, this person that never could have measured up, never could have uh, fit the bill, that never could have arrived where I want to be, was totally recovered and redeemed and ransomed by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ as he sacrificed himself there. And once again, all that does for me is makes my heart swell in gratitude and makes me rejoice and makes me happy once again in the Lord. And it drives Satan away for a season. <laughs> and then he comes back and you know what? I have the opportunity to do it all over again and take another trip to Calvary and to be once again reminded of the suffering Jesus who was the redeeming Jesus and thank God he's also the returning Jesus. And when that day comes, Satan will plague us and bother us no more. And all the days of eternity, we will see him there, I believe, as that lamb who stood slain from the foundation of the world will be forever reminded, as though we would even need to be, <laughs> that our Savior loves us so. And may we share our love back to him. He certainly is worthy. May God bless you, sir.